Love is the new medicine. Is it not love that heals the brokenhearted or lifts crying child into its arms, comforting, wiping away its tears, fears, and years of neglect in just one hug or a kiss? Who can miss love's presence on a rainy day or overlook its influence when in dismay? Nay, each time it appears, duty follows, for in its wake all lies are swallowed up, and that's the truth. Love, not some simple episode on a mundane show or a passing moment in time. It is prime, foremost in all things, for what it brings is indelible, memorable. It removes all doubt, it calls death out, and makes men shout and woman proclaim its name again and again and again. Love is a friend that sits in waiting, not hating or outdated, but long awaited when alone, not secluded to one, but for all who seek its face, there's grace, embracing its all-encompassing forgiveness when needed or not. Believe it or not, but love all we've got when all else fails, for God is love. Love is healing. Love is the new medicine. In the name of Allah, the Beneficent, the Merciful, I bear witness that there is no God but Allah, and I bear witness that Muhammad is his messenger. Assalamu alaikum, which means peace be unto you. Welcome, 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 family, to Love, the New Medicine, Conversations on Healing with Dr. Tissa Muhammad. My name is Sister Sharita, and today we are all preparing for a great show. We pray with the help of Allah. And with that being said, I'd like to bring on our sister, Dr. Tissa Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Tissa. Assalamu alaikum, Sister Sharita. We seem to have had a little bit of technical difficulty, but <laughs> we shall forge forward. Allah Akbar. Allah yes, Akbar. So thank you again. So today we are, I know, getting a little bit deeper into our conversation as we move forward listening through the sounds of cylinders um, in this discussion. And I would like us to, uh, I guess, just really move into our idea of thought think the discussion today is on thought transference. I'd like for us to also delve into, um, I know something that you're going to bring up more on the heart in terms of its role in thought, as well as getting into a question as well that we had that came through from one of our listeners as well. Praise be to Allah. Beautiful. Well, sis, can you please just leave the baseball conversation? Uh Let's start um, with whatever's on your heart. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Well, today I think, which I'm sort of looking at for um, this, this conversation sort of came to mind this past week. And um, it came to mind really because it was inspired by this whole theory given to us by Dr. Emoto regarding water and how thought affects the molecule of water. I know we had sort of delved into that conversation before. And what I wanted to share on that is um, it's based on 
Zamzam water, which he studied extensively. And Dr. Emoto discovered that Zamzam water is actually such a unique water that he found out that when he looked at its structure, he said that that was very unique. But he said that when he took Zamzam water, Sister Sharita, and he introduced it into other water, it seemed as if the Zamzam water, the molecule, when he observed the other water, they imitated the molecule of Zamzam water. So it was like just a little bit of Zamzam water in a glass of regular water would transform the entire glass of water into the Zamzam water's molecule. Now, for those of us who may not be aware of what I'm speaking of, like Zamzam water is located in the Middle East. And when we talk about um, Hagar and, as they say in Arabic, Hajar, and her role in the house of Abraham, or Ibrahim, as they say in Arabic, and Sarah, or Sarai, you know, when we look at that process of her at one point, some say Abraham, you know, kicked her out or, or Sarai kicked her out, but it doesn't matter how it happened. <laughs> what matters is that when she was running between the two mountains, two hills, Safa and Mawa, she had her baby, Ishmael, who was, of course, the firstborn of Abraham. Isaac came afterwards. But her son Ishmael was with her, and she was running back and forth between these two mountains. And his foot, it is said in scriptures, kicked up a rock, or a stone rather, and a spring gushed forward. Because she was seeking food and water. She was very hungry and thirsty. And it was by divine intervention that she was put into this predicament. Um, And, of course, this spring was called Zamzam Water. And, of course, it is very, very highly praised throughout the world. They said it has a very distinct, unique taste that is not anything that is found in any other water. And this is really this water that we're speaking about. Now, as to why this particular water carries this particular signature and ability to go into other waters and transform it into itself, I think is, uh, has to be studied further. And I do believe it is the subject of a lot of extensive research. However, when I thought about that water, Sister Sharita, that's what inspired me to think about thought transference. I want to also talk to you about thought transference in regards to something called the 100 monkey theory. And this was another experiment that was done with macaque monkeys off of the island of Japan. So it was an island off the island of Japan. (laughs) And when the experiment was conducted, it is said that the scientists wanted to make sure that there would be no way possible for any of these monkeys who were on the or inland to be able to interact with monkeys who were um, on the mainland. So those who were on the island had to have enough space between them so that they could not say that the monkeys inland or on the island were, um, or, or sorry, on Japan itself, the mainland Japan, sorry, would have any ability to communicate with the island's uh, monkeys the macaque. They were both the same species, but they had a huge expanse of water. 
And monkeys, based on what they were saying, can swim, but it was just too far of a distance for them to do that. It would be more of a boat that they would need to get across that expanse of water to the other side. So there would be no communication with them, not even the calling out, you know, kind of communication. It was too far for them to communicate based on what the scientists observed. And on the island, the scientists said that the monkeys love these particular yams. And these yams used to fall into sand on this beach. And the monkeys were used to sort of just eating these yams with the sand on them. Well, one day, one of the scientists, um, it is stated, um, took one of the yams that had sand in it when they were observing these monkeys and washed the, the yams off in the salt water, in the ocean water. And a monkey, a female monkey, apparently imitated him or, you know, whether she imitated him or he gave it to her, I'm not certain, as to how she was introduced to it. But when she ate the yams that had been washed off with the salt water, the chemical of the salt apparently changed something in the yam at that moment when it was washed, also removing the sand. And it was observed that she started to show other baby monkeys around her how to do that. And it seems as if they said that every time they checked, they would see that a troop of monkeys, more and more monkeys would learn this technique, and more and more of them were going to the ocean's edge and rinsing off their yams in the salt water and then eating them. Now, it started with these baby monkeys that were teaching their mothers, and then their mothers started to teach others in their troop. And they started to count and sort of estimate how many monkeys had this information. Meanwhile, those who were studying the monkeys on the mainland noticed that the monkeys continued to eat sandy yams. This process continued over a period of time. It's not necessarily disclosed. That could be easily found out, but it's not important to our discussion. But over a period of time, there were approximately 50 monkeys who were on the island doing this, and mainly those in the mainland. There was no difference at all. You could not see any change in their behavior patterns in regards to those yams. They kept eating sandy yams. By the time they were up to a count of 75 monkeys, still no change with the mainland monkeys. Sandy yams was all they were eating. They said by the time they got to 99 monkeys, or approximately 99 monkeys on the island, or within that range, they said they noticed, of course, nothing changed in the behavior. However, when they reached what would have been considered to be the 100th monkey on the island, they noticed on the mainland that one monkey or a few monkeys began to wash their yams in the salt water of the ocean. And this was a magnificent sign to them. It was a breakthrough because what it showed them was that thought transference. Thought is able to be transferred, and it doesn't have to be communicated by any verbal communication. It is communicated through the mind. So therefore, if you want to spread a thought, in a sense, thoughts can be infectious. If you have enough people, approximately 100 people, 
who are thinking on a thing, their thoughts will influence the majority of people around them and eventually create a process of a transformation of the mind of humanity. Why is this important to note, Sister Sharita? It's important to note in family this information because if indeed we are sitting down right now in our homes as we individually are doing and we have become dedicated to to a specific practice let's say my dedication is to self-improvement then we can understand now why we're told that self-improvement is the basis for community development through thought transference. Because if I say to myself, I am going to change the way I think, the way I live, I'm going to clean up my environment, I'm going to treat my children better, I'm going to take better care of myself, I'm going to take better care of my home and the things I own, my vehicle, vacuum it, clean it, wash it, you know, really, really take extra efforts in meeting people and treating people in a specific way that I want to be treated, eating healthier, making healthy food choices, making demands of my grocery store that they bring in healthier foods, fruits, vegetables, and other selections for me, calling, you know, people, friends, family, checking in on them, seeing how they're doing, saying hi to my neighbors, greeting people, having nobody that I meet be a stranger to me. Well, just by conducting my life in this manner, eventually it can be noted that others around me will start to have the same thoughts, the same behavior. The behavior of the people around me will be slowly influenced because I'm dedicated to a specific thought. This can be proven in the ghetto. If you go into the ghetto today and you pick up a sheet of paper and you start to clean up, it's been proven that other people will begin to do the same just by you beginning to pick up trash and clean up the environment. You start now to inspire others to do exactly the same and even more. The same can be proven if you go and throw trash somewhere. Other people, you walk into a clean room and you throw trash in a clean room. There are certain people who will begin to throw trash down with you. So if we can throw trash down and have people imitate us, then if we clean trash and pick it up, they'll do the same. And this is that whole aspect, Sister Sharita, of thought transference and the whole idea of how our thinking influences our behavior and those of others. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, my goodness. You know, so much came to my mind, but I started to think about um Hagar and, um, you know, the position that she found herself in. And I started to think about how what was on her mind, what was she thinking. And I tell you what yeah. came up in my mind, praise be to Allah. I thought about how the heart and the brain, how they uh, share the same nuance, you know what I mean? And yeah. how if we could just focus on getting the heart and the brain to work together, you know, like, for instance, yes. we have a desire, we have a thought. In fact, let me ask you this. Give a perfect example of that, the heart and the brain working together, and why is that important? 
Well, you know what, Sister Sharita, that's a very good question. There's actually some research that was done, and I'm actually going to pull this right up um, from some of those sources of that research. And it gets into this article that is actually based on the Institute of Heart Math, which is located in Boulder Creek, California, and that's based on the research or some of the primary researchers who are in the field of this study. Um, one being one particular person, uh, Dr. Roland McCready. He's a director of research at this particular institute, the Institute of Heart Math. And he gets into something that's quite unique. They state the following. It says here, and, and I really, it needs to be noted that McCready actually, his background was in electrical engineering, believe it or not. So I almost think that's another reason why it, it, it was so inspirational for him to get into this study on the heart. Because, of course, he started to look at the neurons, which are the electrical centers of the body. But it says here, the heart is a constant two-way dialogue with the brain. Um, the heart is in rather constant two-way dialogue with the brain. But McCready explains that the heart and the cardiovascular system are sending far more signals to the brain than the brain is sending to the heart. So let's clarify that. So it was understood or believed that the brain was the one that was directing the heart. But now researchers have discovered, and this has actually been known since the 1800s or late 1800s in studies about this connection, but it has been largely ignored until the 1970s and 80s when they started to get further and further into this research that the brain is not directing the heart the heart is directing the brain and it says this has been known since the late 1800s but has largely been ignored as I stated before it says while it is recognized that these afferent signals and that's the signal of afferent being something that is directed from the heart to the brain signal okay or signals that flow to the brain, they have a regulatory influence on many aspects of the autonomic nervous system, including most glands and organs. It is less commonly appreciated that they also have profound effects on the higher brain centers. So they only really paid attention to the fact that the heart was controlling certain glands and glandular aspects, you know, through the ANS, the autonomic nervous system. But now, of course, they're discovering that it also has an effect on the higher brain centers, too. So it says here, cardiovascular afferents, and once again, afferents simply means these are signals that are sent from the heart to the brain. Affer, so it's like moving from the brain, the heart rather, to the brain. Um, these afferents have numerous connections to such brain centers as the thalamus, the hypothalamus, the amygdala, and they play a direct and important role in determining our perceptions, our thought processes, and emotional experiences. It says here, recent work in the relatively new field of neurocardiology has firmly established that the heart is a sensory organ and an information encoding and processing center with an extensive nervous or will they say extensive intrinsic nervous system that's sufficiently sophisticated 
to qualify as a heart brain. What this say this says, Sister Sharita, is that the heart is on the same level in its makeup as that of the brain. It has extensive intrinsic nervous systems that are connected outwardly to the brain and other organs, but outwardly to the brain, which has an influence over the entire body. Body. (laughs) So in a way, if you look at it, we have two brains that are in us. What that which we call the brain and also the heart. But the heart apparently has more of an influence on the brain than the brain on the heart. So the heart could almost be considered to be more of the brain <laughs> than the brain is of the brain, you know, of the body, if that makes any sense, right? Yes, yes. And sister, yes, real ma'am. quick, like me, you know, what came to my mind, please speak to a lot, is you know where Jesus so says in the scriptures, as a man thinketh in his heart, so, so is, is he. he. Correct. How do we tie all that in together? Praise the Lord. And I see well, that the scientists are being witness to that. But go ahead. Exactly. Well, you see, this is what you just said. Is it how's it tie in? That's it, right there. Our heart yes. determines our thoughts and determines who we are, because if the heart has an influence over the brain and all of these organs through the brain, then as a man thinketh in his heart, would transform the way that his body responds. This also bears witness, Sister Sharita, to the fact that when we speak about the emotions, the emotions direct and influence our physical behavior, our physical health. So our emotions can affect, and this is what we spoke about last week, they can and they will affect our physical health. So when we are taught to rise above emotions into the thinking of God, some people think this means that I'm not to be emotional. (laughs) Like, I'm not supposed to show no love. I'm not supposed to act in this manner. You know, (laughs) how does that feel? It's all right. You know, (laughs) it's like people think it means to be void, you know, devoid of emotions, right? And it, it has absolutely nothing to do um, with that. It's, it's, it's really saying that we have to recognize the emotions, but we don't allow the, mo- the emotions to direct our thoughts or to direct our behavior. Right. And we really have to develop a stronger relationship with God. Allah, in order for that to take a better, you know, role in our lives, you know, or play a better role in our lives. I want to say that um, this type of research, just showing the influence of our intuitive mind, I want to share one of these studies here from the Heart Math Laboratories, which says the following, it says, One of these studies conducted at the HeartMath Laboratories showed that both the heart and brain receive and respond to pre-stimulus information about a future event. 
In fact, I'm going to have to start it a little bit earlier in this because this is something compelling. It's called heart intelligence. And, you know, this ties into, as, as I'm saying it, it ties into plant perception because they prove this with plants. But let's go back to the heart intelligence. McCready found compelling evidence to suggest that the heart's energy field, called the energetic heart, is coupled to a field of information that is not bound by the classical limits of time and space. This evidence comes from several rigorous experimental studies that investigated the proposition that the body receives and processes information about a future event before the event actually happens. And I'll continue. One of these studies conducted at the HeartMath Laboratories showed that both the heart and brain receive and respond to pre-stimulus information about a future event. But even more surprising is the finding that the heart seems to receive the intuitive information before the brain. They also found that study participants in a positive, emotion-driven, coherent state prior to the experimental protocols proved to be significantly more attuned to the information from the heart than those who were not in such a state. Let me repeat that. They also found that study participants who were, and I'm going to add my own words, who were in a positive, emotion-driven, coherent state prior to the experimental protocol proved to be significantly more attuned to the information from the heart than those who were not in such a state. Did you hear that, Sister Sharita? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. So those who had a very positive outlook, their emotions, they were feeling people. In other words, very loving people, kind, very in tune with people. They discovered that those people were more attuned to the information from their heart. In other words, they were able to read intuitive information more than those who were not. Isn't that something? That's something. That is definitely something. I tell you, Sister Tissa, I was thinking about something really honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan is really mm. reminding us and calling us to, you know, um, and reminding us that whatever we put out, we're going to get back. Whatever we, uh, you reap what you sow. You know, and I'm yeah. thinking about that in the time that we're in, which is a time like never before. In fact, you know, we're taught that we're living the prophecy, uh, uh, fulfilling the prophecy in the scripture. You yeah. know what I mean? So I would like to, um, if you could, please, just share some words on that. Um because it's, it's so important that we pay attention to our thoughts and, of course, um, uh, our um, intentions, you know. So, yes. Please. Thank well, you, you know, the ministry of Jesus Christ is that, not that, not was that, but is that of love. You know, we have been taught that we have to learn to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. We are taught about even forgiveness. And it's not forgetness now, but forgiveness. And there's a reason that we are taught to be forgiving. And it's not so much for the person who has done the wrong, but it's to be 
forgiving to yourself because we have to move to a certain stage where we are no longer beating up on ourselves because notice those who have a very positive emotion, you know, like sort of emotional um, state who are driven with, uh, you know, emotion-driven life, coherent life. So they're in tune, in other words. They're really in tune, just paying attention and being very positive. Well, what can feed their positivity except for faith? And when we begin to sort of delve deeper and deeper into the knowledge of ourselves, we can be more forgiving of ourselves. So therefore, when people do things, we can have the same attitude as the Master, Jesus Christ, who said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Not that they didn't know what they were doing, because they had been plotting and planning the whole time, but they did not know to understand that what they were doing was against themselves more so than it was against him. And that's the same thing with us in everything we do. I want to bring us back to this heart intelligence, Sister Sharina, because when we look at this heart being such an intuitive factor in life, the heart is the feminine brain of the body. The heart has a 75% influence over the body than the brain does. They work together, though. But she predicts and she tunes into things that are impending. So if we block off our ability to be in tune with each other, well, first of all, if we block off our ability to be in tune with our own emotions, blocking our own emotional responses, not allowing ourselves to love, to forgive, to be open, to be free of heart, spirit, then we block off our ability to be able to avoid difficulties that come our way and to overcome obstacles in our pathway. So this time that we are in is really one that is driven by the heart and by the premise of love. Love has to be the foundation of everything that we do and that we stem into and that we develop. It has to be born out of a deep-centered love for self and love for humanity, not for money, because that blocks the heart center again. Because money cometh, but money only cometh freely to a heart that is free and that is in tune and that is connected to God, you know. Um, I want to continue to sort of sharing something else that came here in this in this reading, Sister Sharita, as well, because I think it's so important. It says, the heart appears to receive intuitive information before the brain, you know. So it says here, it should not be all that surprising about that. It says it just confirms what people mean when they speak of the intuitive heart or the heart intelligence. It says the energetic heart is coupled to a deeper part of ourselves. When we are heart-centered and coherent, we have a tighter coupling and a closer alignment with our deeper source of intuitive intelligence. In a heart-coherent state, there is an increased flow of intuitive information that is communicated via the emotional energetic system to the brain systems. 
resulting in a stronger connection with our inner voice and allowing us access to the largely untapped potential for bringing our mental and emotional faculties into greater balance and self-directed control. Practicing shifting to a more coherent state increases intuitive awareness and leads to shifts in perception and worldviews from which better informed and more intelligent decisions can be made. So we have to learn from what is being stated here to think in a sense from our heart. When we do everything and anything, to use our heart to help to direct us in that proper direction. That's our power, Sister Sharita. It's from love. And back to this love being the new medicine. You know. Yes. Love being the new medicine, we can look at it from, as I spoke about, this plant perception. It's 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 particularly amazing to me as a doctor of natural medicine, Sister Sharita. And uh, homeopathic medicine and nutritional medicine, all of those areas are so interconnected with with each other. You want to know why? <laughs> because when you study the uh, like different plants, these herbs, so-called herbs, right? Or if we study foods, and uh, we study flowers, and we isolate the specific ones. Like I can take a carrot, I can take garlic, I can take parsley, I can take, you know, uh, kava kava, you know, all these different herbs and foods, etc. But if I study them first by the color, study them by the taste or, you know, is it bitter, acrid, sweet, salty, sour, you know, um, spicy, pungent if I study it by flavor if I study it even by shape every aspect of those fruits carries medicine and it can be utilized for various things or systems for example if it's red I know that it deals with the blood the cardiovascular and heart so red foods we know are interconnected to the heart and the blood so we know that our life force energy and our perception (laughs) is fed and grown out of eating a lot of red foods. So people who are having a lot of issues with tuning in to that aspect of themselves, sort of being more driven into that level of of being more open to love can help to heal themselves through drinking more beet juice, feeding themselves off of a lot of red foods and green foods. It, it, it calms the spirit of a person and gives them more balance, you know? And someone who is having, you know, more yellow foods, it deals with the urinary system, you know, also sort of ties into the liver. And all these other colors. It just inspires different things and different organs. But when I studied each one of them, Sister Sharita, I discovered that each one of them also has a thought process attached to them. And that's where homeopathics comes in. So it's not just studying 
these fruits and vegetables and, 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 and elements from just the chemical makeup, but they also influence a specific thought. And it makes me to understand something that I was reading this morning in the Holy Quran, which was tying in this aspect of showing us that Allah, God, is, you know, everything is to his glory. <laughs> everything in nature. Everything in the universe. That's right. Glorifies him. Because if we have just a little blade of grass, and I can absorb, observe it, and I can see all the components of this blade of grass, but then I study it and I'm like, oh, it, it brings about this kind of thinking. Or this element, like, for example, gold, is good for people who are depressed. Gold is good for suicidal people. If you use it homeopathically, aura metallicum, they call it, in homeopathy. And it deals with suicidal thoughts, people who hate themselves, you know? Yes. Or someone who is, is kind of losing their lust for life. Give them bitters to drink. It brings them to present time. And it also inspires them to sort of go deeper and deeper and contact their grief and bring it out, you know, and begin to heal themselves from inwardly, you know. And then I study vitamins and minerals and these nutrients, these enzymes, Sister Sharita. And vitamin C is no longer just a pill that tastes great and has a orange flavor <laughs> you know, in some ways, right? But vitamin C is actually little molecules of thought which are responsible for so many different parts of our body. Same with niacin. Niacin opens up some sort of God center in us, I've discovered. I've discovered. I don't know if anybody else has. I agree. And, and the B100s, all the Bs, they deal with all the nervous system, the entire nervous system. But they also deal with the thoughts, Sister Sharita. They lift your spirits. They make you feel more motivated, more happy in life. You know, vitamin E is very healing and it, you know, it soothes and, you know, it brings about all of this sort of like um, a nurturing type of feeling, you know. And ah, there's just so much that we can see in nature that it just bears witness to the glory of God and his manifest love. I mean, this love, it's love that we can touch and feel and drink and taste and enjoy, you know. And at the same time, every time we ingest this food that he's given us, like that navy bean, which they discovered is not just a food, it's a brain food that has a very, has the highest vibrational frequency of all the beams. And it inspires more of a righteous mindset. It kind of makes you feel more on the level of a righteous mindset than anything else when you're dealing with that. So in this discussion, as we're having it this morning, we understand that the more that we sort of delve into understanding what we have been given in this 
It's like the Quran said when I was reading it yesterday in Surah 55, chapter 55, called Ar-Rahman, the Beneficent. The question was asked innumerable times in that particular chapter. Which of the bounties of your Lord will ye deny? You know, we can't even deny the bounties of God because at the end of it all, every single thing, Sister Sharita, that we are experiencing in this life is all part of a process of mercy, beneficence, and favor, divine favor. So we cannot... We cannot deny his love for us. That's right. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. You know, sis, I was thinking about something that the um, Honorable Minister of Farrakhan was saying in an article that I read just a few days ago. Um, and I would like to encourage everyone to read this article. Very, very powerful. Got a lot from it. It's love ye one another even as I have loved you. Yes. And that's the name of the article. It's at the finalcallnewspaper.com. But the Honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan was saying this, and it's kind of, this is what stuck with me, where he said that for, in order for us, to understand, for us to understand love is to understand the core out of which God operates. Yes. Yes. And then he goes on to say that it's not an emotion, you know. And um, I was like, oh, my goodness gracious. But to really... When we start to understand love, we understand we understand God, and God is love, and love is God. You know, but it's, it's, it's the core of God's operation. I'm like, oh, my goodness, please, let's speak on that as well. Because, oh, my God, it's just so much, Sister uh, uh, Tissa, and I know that we're about to close, but um, I just wanted right. to turn it over to you. That's what came to my mind, beloved. Praise the Lord. Yes, ma'am. Dealing with the whole aspect of God's love? Yes, yes. Understanding love. When we begin to understand love, the minister is saying that this is to understand the core out of which God operates. So when you were talking about the different vitamins, the different foods, the different colors, you know what I mean? Mm. I was like, that's what came to my mind. Praise God. And I get really excited. But if if those blue (laughs) elements, like a carrot, has so many healing properties and then this great big thinking attached to it, then Sister Sharita, what of us? Come on. You know, what are we manifesting? Who are we? Who are we manifesting? You know? Who are we manifesting today when we are? When we are being at our highest potential? Who are we manifesting? You know, when we're living at our highest level and frequency, who are we emulating? God. Exactly, because we were made in the image and likeness of him. So then here's this thing that you were asking me earlier this week about rusty locks. So it's like every time we go into delving deeper into ourselves and uncovering, unearthing ourselves in a sense, we are actually unlocking or dusting off and breaking off the rust off of the locks in our minds and we're allowing ourselves to unearth, you know, to open up, to unlock our potential to our nature, which is that of God himself within us. Wow. I 
And so, Allahu Akbar. So the deeper that we go into ourselves and observe this about ourselves, is the deeper that we can kind of look into the mind of God. Wow, and you know, one day, inshallah, uh, perhaps we can talk about um, uh, uh, the originator series that Mother Tynetta did. Oh, yes. You know, I think yes. that that would be excellent to bring onto the show. But I went back, uh, Sister Tissa, to mm-hmm. um, just kind of look over the article because it came to my mind. By last permission, love ye one another. Love ye one another, even as I have loved you. Love you. Written by yeah. the Honorable Minister And here he's saying, and I think this goes very well with what you just shared with us. It says, if you say God is love, then love is God. Love is that creative force out of which the universe came. Love is that creative force that gave motion to matter, that made nothing into something. Love is that creative force out of which comes law and order, substance, maintenance, and the reproduction of all things. God is love. So when you were talking, I was like, I don't know why I was just being drawn to this article. But I just wanted to put that out there and hear from mm-hmm. you, sister. Thank you, beloved. Yes, indeed, because, um, you know, it says another scripture that sort of talks about seek ye first mm-hmm. the kingdom of God and all its righteousness. And it says, and all these things shall be added unto you. But... You know, what What are we kind of feeling? Sometimes we think that the kingdom that we're seeking is dying to go to heaven. <laughs> you know, this mindset. Yes, yes. When that's not so much the kingdom. The kingdom is really us being willing to delve deeper Come on. into this innate part of ourselves. That's the right. Leviathan of self, in a sense like the ocean, this untapped potential that's within us. You know, going in there. Yes, yes. And then searching through yourself, sifting through yourself, which is going to require going back over some very painful memories for some of us. But having to get past those thoughts, like putting them where they need to be, bringing them forward not to re-hurt or re-harm, but to release the pain that's attached to them. And as you move through those parts of yourself and clean up those thoughts about whatever you may have thought, the beliefs you had, like, for example, when I had been raped, you know, I was looking at myself as being this dirty girl. You know, looking down on myself in a very low level. And so when I went back, I discovered I wasn't a dirty girl. I wasn't this low level or this, you know, colloquial hole, as in a sense, that thought. You see, that was something that was said to me when I was being raped. So these thoughts had been implanted by someone else who was not living to that and their highest potential of God, clearly, you know. Clearly. So I took on their mindset. 
But the beauty to me, Sister Sharita, is that when I went back, I could easily find a place to forgive myself for what had been done to me, to forgive him because he didn't know what he was doing, even though, yes, he knew what he was doing in that regard, but no, he didn't know what he was doing because that was a certain karmic law that he would have to pay for. And I went past there And I discovered other indiscretions That had been done to me You know In different ways in my life That sort of led up to that But guess where I ended up I didn't end up having a hateful Anger and rage Or distrust or mistrust of men Or any Or people I actually discovered in myself this need to help people to do better to protect children and to really really develop almost like a ministry like we're doing right now to give people a greater sense of understanding themselves and the fact that there is a room and a place for healing and we can overcome these painful things and use them to help us to help others who are suffering from that to be freed. So it's like it gave me the keys, Sister Sharita, to help to free myself. And I discovered that the more that I was able to free myself and forgive myself, now I discovered other gifts that I had that I wasn't aware I had. I had the ability now to develop further these gifts. And I feel... So much joy has taken place where there was once depression and and even sometimes suicidal thoughts at times when I didn't know better. And now I feel so happy and so confident and comfortable with myself. I'm not perfect right now in terms of what I would want to see physically, let's say, of myself. But I'm still perfect to myself because I can see that I'm healing and I feel the healing and physically like my kidneys we spoke about that last week and my my liver and my colon they're healing they're healing they're healing they're healing they're healing they're healed and healed exactly Allahu Akbar Allahu yes. Akbar they're healed because I have forgiven yes. myself yes from thoughts that I was not good enough and I've realized that all of this is part of my journeying That's right. to seek that kingdom of God and all its righteousness. And now all these things are being added. And those are the gifts that we already had in us. Because we're Dora the Explorer. We already have our big backpack. We just need the map. And the map is really understanding where to go. And we have to go inwardly. Come on. The kingdom of God is within you. Within you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. And I know we're coming to a close right now, yes, too. And... Yes. I just want to say one thing. <laughs> I am so, oh, Allah. I tell yeah. you, the other day, and, and you spoke right to it, really, because I was thinking this. I was walking, and I'm just thinking, you know, when I started to look back at my life, and just in a mm. good way, you know, and really, yes. Thinking a lot way, you know, thank you a lot, you know. And I started to think, I said, some of these things that happened in my life, 
that I agreed to believe. See, I agreed things that people put on me. I agreed with them. Yes. I chose to believe them. Well, today I don't yes. agree with some of that stuff. Matter of fact, I say most of it. I just don't agree with it, and it's okay. One of the things that I'm learning, and I thank Allah for that, because yes. he made me to understand it was me that was agreeing to it, not today. No. No. Right. And so that's given me a level of freedom, too. Thank you, Allah. You know, yes. so... It's a beautiful thing, sister, and, and I'm just saying, I had to say that because I'm telling you, just the other day I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, I, was, I agreed to some of that stuff, which is not even true. It's someone else's opinion mm. and how they felt. Exactly. I, I never felt that way, but it was put on me and I agreed to it, even yes. today. So I'm saying that everyone has the right to feel, and this is a part of freedom, too. You know, Sister Tish, and this is something, again, these are just discussions that we're having. But um, everyone has the right to feel. Wherever you, we are in our development is where we are. And everyone yeah. has the right to feel whatever they feel. And so do we. You see? Because yeah. we all have to make choices, um, choices. But that's very, very important for me right now to allow people to feel and think the way that they feel because I, too, want that freedom for myself and to be yeah. able to choose for myself, you know. So praise be to Allah. Yeah. I'll turn it back over to you, sister. As always, I thank Allah for our beautiful conversations. And thank you to everyone who called in today. Back to you, Indeed. sister. Indeed, and we thank you for, you know, everything, Sister Sharita, this beautiful conversation. I know it's come to an end. And for those who may be wondering, what exactly are we doing? Well, this is exactly what we're doing. We're really just working on conversations of inspiration based on thoughts that we come through throughout the week dealing with thinking, dealing with our bodies, and we're moving through, you know, this conversation is sort of being developed on an intuitive level, and uh, we intend to kind of continue doing that. I wanted us to get into that question that was asked from our one of our listeners, and uh, for anyone else who would like to, you can be a part of asking us these questions by simply emailing us at lovemedicine19 at gmail.com. And I want to just answer um, our particular sister, and I'll use the name or the initials, rather, of S-R. And she was asking a particular question, and I'm going to get to that as we close out here. She said, "Assalamu alaikum. I am 43. About a year ago, I lost 50 pounds. I walk and run two to three times a day, and I eat one healthy meal a day, but my weight is stuck at 175 even fasting for a day or two only brings it down a pound, then it goes back up. I have Googled my issue, but the only one or the only so-called answers are that I'm in menopause or that this is what happens at my age. Please suggest what I can do or look into. And I want to just say to this particular person, SR, that I would suggest that you sort of go and do a little bit of look at your, um, your kidneys, for example, if you're feeling a little bit of pain or discomfort in your lower back, um, both sides or even one side, sort of pay attention to that right there. And what I would advise you to also do is that unexplained weight gain could be blamed on the thyroid as well. Symptoms would be, and I see that you walk and run two to three, two to three, two to three miles a day, and you eat one meal a day. So I would really want to say it doesn't seem as much thyroid because you would be tired <laughs> if it wasn't your thyroid. Or you would be extremely hyper, but I don't see that because it's the weight gain versus weight loss or extreme weight loss. 
So I would really look more into your kidneys um, as being the place that you can begin. There's some really natural alternative remedies that you can look at for the kidneys. One particular one is baking soda. And sodium bicarbonate is another name for it. You can get that from the health food store. You take about a quarter teaspoon of that and put that in water, um, in about a 16-ounce glass of water, and spin that through. And drink that and see if you notice about 10 to 15 minutes after doing that. Um, And do it a few times a day if you notice a difference. So let me know, and I look forward to hearing more from you. Let's see how that weight goes. And let us know about the results for that. So we thank you. I know we only have about 30 seconds left. So join us next week, Sister Sharita. Thank you so much. (laughs) And you can listen to this broadcast on soundcloud.com forward slash love medicine. And we thank you for joining us. Sister Sharita, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, beloved. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Until next week. Peace be still. Calling all units. All units, please respond. We have a code Froster in progress. Suspect is a 17-year-old male. Yellow complexion, banana peel hair. Pursue with caution, you might slip. Was last seen drinking a banana froster. Apprehend gently, he bruises easily. Choose from up to 12 icy cold froster flavors at Max Convenience Stores and Circle K. You are what you froster. Frosterize your face on Snapchat June 30th. Over.